Christina Rea and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we are breaking down pre-production, aka planning the shoot. If you'd like to suggest a new topic, send us a compliment, ask us a question, or otherwise get in touch, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at BreakingOutPod or via email breaking out of breaking in pod at gmail.com. And if you want deeper dives into everything that we do on this podcast and to help us do even more, bring you even more and develop more literal tools that you can use after you listen to us advise you on how to use them, subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash breaking out pod for just $3 a month. You'll get bonus content like templates, curated learnings, custom infographics. And if you subscribe at our highest current tier at the very least, uh, 10 dollars a month, you will get all of that good stuff, a holographic sticker of our podcast logo and a shout out at the end of each episode. So a lot of cool reasons to get involved, tiers for every price point, And uh, we hope you love all the great additional stuff that you get there and also enjoy supporting us, the two people who do this podcast. Okay, let's That's do this right. podcast now. It's pre-production also, time. just want to say, <laughs> hey, it's the first episode after our drive, after our breaking even drive. Yep. Insert, maybe maybe we'll insert a thank you or... Um... We're very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, maybe we'll record some. We're recording this like in July. So who knows what's <laughs> happened in the meantime. But yeah, we just finished the pledge drive. We'll stop talking about it. But we really do appreciate everyone who, who chipped in and supported us. And uh, we are excited to continue doing new cool stuff for this community of people who want to tell great stories without playing the Hollywood game. That's right. Okay, so pre-production. Yeah, so this is, I we've. I mean, obviously we've talked about pre-production in previous episodes. Certainly mm-hmm. like our cheats episode is a little bit of a pre-production episode because so mm-hmm. much of cheating effectively is planning effectively, but we've never really done like a cohesive episode on the process of pre-production and certainly not how it differs depending on what kind of thing that you make. Um, So I guess the place to start is where pre-production starts. And so I'm curious for you, Christina, when does a project go from like just a script that you're writing or an idea that you're developing to it is now officially pre-production time. Like what is the trigger to begin pre-production? Yeah, it's hard because, you know, in a traditional sense, like if a studio was developing something, right, they would be like, let's hire some writers or we've we've optioned this script. Let's get a team on it to start developing it. But for me, there's <laughs> really just like, I'm writing a thing to write it or I'm writing a thing that I plan to make. And so the moment I feel like I'm done writing, and yes, maybe I'll revise as I add cast and stuff, but for the most part, the writing is done, then development is done and it's in pre-production, you know? Oh, wow. Like there yeah, is for- no there is no in-between. It's either like I'm writing to write because I want to pitch this or sell it or get mm-hmm. hired, or I just want to write this for fun or whatever. Or I'm writing it to make it and then that's that. Like I'm (laughs) on the road because I don't pitch to investors. I think that's the difference. Like I'm currently for the first time ever trying to get like real money for a feature, right? For Silent Night. And so I would say I'm in development for it right now because it's done and I have a representative, my managers who are trying to talk to financiers. Mm -hmm. So it's in development because I'm not casting. I'm not thinking about necessarily – I am thinking about when I would like to make it because that's part of the development stage is like you start solidifying it by setting a date. And so in theory, I I have been doing that. But most of the time in my past experience, it's like we're right into pre-production because there's no money. Yeah, for me, pre-production doesn't officially begin, at least in my my head psychologically, until I – tell another person about it they say oh yeah let's do that and then we like schedule a production meeting like until another person because like i don't have you know a congested cat mm-hmm. allegory allegory i don't have the corollary for that you know we have undead burrito productions but it's a much looser thing it's not an llc you know there's no mm-hmm. official like hierarchy or anything so usually it's i have written something i think huh i could probably shoot this I'll ask some uh, for a second opinion. And then once that second opinion is like, 
we could totally shoot this, then it's pre-production. And, and then, <laughs> right. you know, I go all in. But I, yeah, until I have that team there, it's just a script that I'm just kicking around. Sure. I would say like bringing it because I already have a built in team. So like, yeah, bringing mm-hmm. it to my team and being like, do you all want to do this? And if they're like, yeah, and they never really say no, <laughs> because I never bring anything that's like, I don't feel excited about or sure uh, or isn't feasible. Like I, I, I wouldn't bring Silent Night and be like, let's all make this because that's not something we could all make the way we make things. Right. It's right. real money and real more of a, of a like producing team and all of that. So one, so regardless of how you have your team, you have one kind of built in. I always have to cobble something together to a certain mm-hmm. extent. How are you like splitting pre-production and the aspects of pre-production amongst your team? I mean, I do it all. <laughs> <laughs> Relatable. I, it's really more like commit to do, being this role on a set at some date that we all agree we're available for is like... Sure. Kelsey is the only other producer I collaborate with and she doesn't know like film production in and out the way that I do in the sense that she could be like doing the scheduling and understanding how long it's going to take to shoot a specific scene like that's not her specialty and and in terms of hiring like that's all my people anyway because like Kelsey started as one of my people who I brought on to summit and then and then from there we became more collaborative more directly with each other and so it's not like she has people to tap that I wouldn't know or wouldn't tap myself and so when we're making something together we do sometimes divide up specific things that I know she can do like when we were making about a donkey she was the one who found our donkey like she reached out to the donkey sanctuary she did all of that negotiating and talking with them but a lot of the like core production things that are always part of a production I do that myself yeah same I I mean and you know the nature of the kind of work that we do sort of necessitates that especially Mm -hmm. if you're going to be the writer director of something Mm -hmm. for me like my first step is always like I will do a breakdown like I'll do a script breakdown and hey Mm -hmm. if you want uh, a my template that I use for script breakdowns looking better than I've ever had seen it look for when I do it (laughs) Subscribe to our Patreon because the template will be included. But um, I will do a script breakdown first just so I have a sense of like, these are all of the current elements based on the script that this other mm-hmm. person or people have enjoyed. And then I will schedule a, a production meeting and I'll get all of the people that I already know will be involved. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's usually like if I'm not directing, then I'll bring the director in. But if I am directing, then I'll bring in like the, you know, co-star, the, the editor the DP, whoever I already know is on the team, that's like high level, you Mm -hmm. know, department head level, which means nothing because there's usually not a department in an indie film, but whatever. I'll bring everyone together for a uh, production meeting. I will send out an agenda ahead of time, which I set, but you know, Mm -hmm. I've done this a couple of times. I know what we need to talk about first. And we will usually just like that first meeting go through the breakdown of like, this is everything that allegedly we need. And we will start kind of assigning tasks and generally discussing what we think it will take to do this. So like, Mm -hmm. I'll have people people come in and we'll go through like, okay, what is everyone like excited about? What are we excited to work on? You know, what are the things that we really want to make our own because we're really like interested to see like how we can accomplish this challenge, whatever, then we'll go through like, hey, what are parts of the script or like parts of the breakdown that we're like worried about? Like, I don't know how we're going to get this donkey, you Mm -hmm. know, or whatever. And then like, what are things that we want that we don't think we're going to accomplish? Or like we think should be eliminated at this stage that will kind of prompt a rewrite or something. And once we've done that, then at the end of every production meeting, not just the first one, the last like half hour is the basically writing the assignments and agenda for the next meeting. So we'll set the next meeting. We have to like, I've learned you have to have it on the books. You can't just say, oh, we'll figure it out. Like Mm -hmm. we need to have it on the books because you have to accomplish some tasks in between. And then we will, everyone has a little section. It's like, okay, based on what we've talked about in this meeting, what's everyone doing, you know? And so we'll, at Mm -hmm. first people will like volunteer, like, Hey, I'll take ownership up, whatever. But then when we get to like the really boring, shitty stuff, then we have to start being like, okay, who can do this? Who wants to do this? Mm -hmm. That kind of stuff. And if you are already subscribed to our Patreon, you have no doubt seen the decision tree for how to delegate work Mm -hmm. that may be helpful for, uh, for production meetings in the future. Uh, So that was a couple of weeks ago, but if you subscribe for the first time right now, you'll get access to it instantly. Anyways, I, I, yeah, the delegation portion is like, 
key. You know, we've tried yeah. to just end things and be like, okay, we'll meet in two weeks. You gotta know what's gonna mm-hmm. happen next. You, everyone has to have a task. And I've also learned, because this is something I didn't do my first time, everyone has to have a deadline. Even, yeah. you know, yeah. I assumed when I was first making, like doing production meetings and stuff, I assumed that it was implied. The deadline was before the next meeting. So right. like if I was assigned, you know, three tasks to do ahead of the next meeting, I would do those three tasks at some point beforehand. I learned that's not an implied thing, especially when it's like a longer term project. And like it doesn't necessarily have to happen right away. You know, like outreach, if you're four or five months away from shooting, maybe you don't need to do the, the donkey outreach right away. It could mm-hmm. be done, you know, anytime. But mm-hmm. if you already know it's a task you need to do and other things are like related to how that resolves itself. Yeah, you probably want to do it as soon as you know you need to do it. But that's not assumed for everyone. So now I've had to be very specific about like, you have to have, you know, XYZ done by Monday, whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever. And then also build in redundancies for if you can't accomplish it by the agreed upon deadline, that not just I assign, like we all have to agree on the deadline. If for whatever reason, that's not going to happen, we need to have an open channel and a backup person. And of course, the backup person is me. (laughs) I mean, not for nothing, but oftentimes, especially for things that like are historically my job that I'm trying to delegate this time, I will still like do them in the background. And if the person who I've assigned fails to do it, Mm -hmm. uh, I will already have it. And, you know, I won't have lost any additional time to it. And I would love to not do that anymore. But unfortunately, I have not yet found a team that can support me in doing like the worst stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I have very talented people that I work with and are really good at the things they want to do. But filmmaking and pre-production especially is a lot of stuff that nobody wants to do. Mm-hmm. especially for no money. And I have yet to have a, a creative partner who will share that burden. And right. so, yeah, the reality of pre-production is that we do everything, right? Right, yeah. I think, you know, for me, I have a similar meeting structure, but because we, it's a, it's the same people, you know, every time for the most part, we know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. It's It's me, it's always Matt, who's my assistant director, editor, and he's an associate producer on on bigger stuff too, like features, not the case with shorts. Like I usually do a lot of the paperwork myself, but when it's a feature, he takes on more of that. Like when we needed to get production insurance for About a Donkey and he was speaking with Film Emporium, like he was the point of contact for that. And like, I was like, thank God, because I can't, (laughs) I don't have the space to do that. I'm directing this thing too. And you know, securing all the locations and and the food and all that stuff. So, but that's something that he knows I'm going to ask him to do. And he knows the moment we're cast, whether it's like I'm holding auditions or I'm just offering roles, the moment they've said yes, I'm looping him in and he's going to be collecting their dietary restrictions and any other information we need from them for for that. And so he's like a, a middle person for anything that isn't like a creative question essentially. Sure. And like, then I'm, I always have a DP looped in right away, whether mm-hmm. that's Peter or Jeanette, one of them. And if Kelsey is the writer of the thing or, and or producer of it with me, then she's involved too. Totally. But anytime it's not a Kelsey written thing, it's me, Matt and, and DP. What I love about Matt in particular is that he is like, he just loves making movies, but he doesn't have like, a specific role that he has always dreamt of being. He's a really good editor, but he doesn't even really like, he's not aspiring to be like a big famous editor or anything. Mm -hmm. He just wants to be involved. Yeah, exactly. And so he's kind of like, I really, and we've had this conversation early on before we sort of really solidified our relationship. He loves being support staff. He loves being Mm. like, what you need him to be in the moment to get it done. He's like really proud of being the person that gets it to the finish line, that like steps in and makes it happen in whatever way it needs to be. And that is like a lifesaver for me because sometimes it's like, Matt, I need you to be extra hands on lighting. And like, he's generally skilled enough to be that person or I, you know, I need you. I talked, we talked about this in, in the episode about red flags, about managing relationships. And he's the person that can sort of step in and like deal with egos in a way that I don't have the patience for. Mm -hmm. And so he's also really, he doesn't like being in charge. He's not like, he's always said he doesn't really like being a leader, but he is really good when you give him a task. He makes that his thing, right? And so if I get ask him to, you know, deal with the insurance, he's going to deal with it. And like, it's not a headache in the way that it would be for me. 
God, I want that so bad. Because yeah, I'm I'm the spreadsheet person. I'm the coordinator. I'm the outreach person. I'm the editor. I'm <laughs> the AD. Like yeah. the handful of times that I've had sort of an AD on my set has been wonderful. Like you know, I I've had sporadic of, of like opportunities to to work with an AD in some capacity, and every single time it's amazing. It's so mm-hmm. amazing to just have somebody else be like in charge of keeping things moving and like i'm still making all of the decisions but like Mm -hmm. not having to also be on the hook for like logistically ensuring that every everything is moving forward and that i've remembered everything like Mm -hmm. it's just just having someone else there to be like am i crazy or did we are we done are we (laughs) we're done amazing what are we doing next amazing (laughs) it's like it's so helpful it is i mean it's it's a it's a big difference you know when i'm and i still do a, a lot on my own because i will say He's amazing, but he's also like, I'm more nitpicky about details. And so he'll like, I often end up tweaking things that he's done Mm -hmm. to make it more specific, but he at least will kind of get a thing started. So I'm not having to be every point of contact. Like I -hmm. usually will do the outreach, like to get a location or to secure something. And then he can take over if it's just like solidifying it or Mm -hmm. I can give him the congested cat credit card and be like, you just place this actual order for me, please. Sure. And so that that can be really helpful. And also Kelsey, that's like where she comes into if we're co-producing. She is handling release forms and contracts and making sure it's all organized. She's a, she's like, she's a project manager, I would say. Um, sure. That's like what she does for work a lot of. And so mm-hmm. that's a, always a relief when we are, we're making something together. I feel like meetings tend to get more specialized as pre-production right. continues. Like at first it's sort of everybody all weighing in and then it's like mm-hmm. you're just meeting with like the art team and mm-hmm. then you're just meeting with the dp like i obviously like when i'm directing obviously the dp is the person that i'm talking to the most out because right. i rarely have other producers and if i mm-hmm. do they're there for like support but not really doing a lot it's it's more mm-hmm. just like they're helping like remind me that things need to get done but like the dp is the person that i meet with most frequently and like you know will i prefer to do like shot listing and storyboarding and stuff like that together. Um, mm-hmm. Like sometimes Same. I'll have yeah. like a, a something ahead of time of like, these are the handful of shots that like I really want to put together. But I I have one DP that I work with who Brandon doesn't want to do all of it together. He wants me to make a, a, a storyboard and then he'll help uh, with the shot list once I've storyboarded and once he is like weighed in on the storyboard. So he's like, mm-hmm. you come in with a storyboard, I will make notes and then we will together put together our shot list. Um, I think that's mostly because he's lazy and he's not really doing that as much anymore. He's in med school. (laughs) And then Kaylee, on the other hand, my other DP that I've worked with predominantly, Kaylee didn't involve me at all with the storyboarding. Like she already storyboarded and largely shot listed. And then I just Mm. sort of weighed in on that. Like we, we had like a general conversation about like, this is how like I want to shoot this. Like, you know, I want to be on sticks or I want to be whatever. And like, we would talk about like specific moments where it's like, we would love for this sequence to be a walk and talk or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then she went off and just made her own, like, I don't even know if she did a storyboard. She might not have, but she did like, her own shot list and like made it up and then like organized it. And then we got back together to like put everything in place to know what day we're shooting what, but like she kind of mostly just took over that. And that was, I mean, it was nice to not have to do a lot of work. I do wish I had been a little bit more involved yeah. just because I do like that process. Mm-hmm. So I think my ideal DP is somewhere in the middle where like we both maybe come with notes and thoughts collectively yeah. build our plan and then, you know, set it up on our our shooting days together but that's definitely the other relationship that i spend the most time developing is like okay these are all the shots how are we like what is our overall style what do we want this to feel like what are we excited about and how can we make sure that like we are setting ourselves up to have as many shots that we're excited about while also you know serving the story and making sure it is clear and not overly complicated yeah i i i really like doing that stuff together. I'm my, both of the GPs I typically work with are really collaborative in that way. And so we will usually have a meeting where we go through the whole shot list together and come up with it. And usually Matt is there too, because he's the AD on set. So then we usually, if it's not the same meeting, he might not be there, but most of the time we combine meetings. So then once we have our shot list, we go through and we say, okay, like how long 
is this going to take, when would we break for lunch? You know, is Mm -hmm. this going to be a full run through or is this just going to be this section and make those decisions so then we can build our schedule in that same meeting? Because then we can also say like, oh, this isn't going to be achievable in two days or in one day. Mm -hmm. And we either need to cut our shot list or we need to add a day, right? And so those decisions then we can creatively problem solve with our AD there who is coming from the schedule perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's usually how how we will kind of run things. And, and I think pre-production mostly for me like revolves around locations. Unless I'm shooting in my apartment, I usually don't decide I'm making a thing until I know I can secure that location. Yeah, that's, that's probably a, a good point as well as like, if you don't have even a vague concept of like, is it physically possible to be in a space where I could shoot this thing? Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to be like, yes, we're making this, we're having production meetings. Mm-hmm. I mean, Summit, I did so many things backwards with Summit, but I just like wrote this script and then assumed I could get this location that I wrote. And then I started casting and then I had a cast attached and a crew attached and then I crowdfunded and secured the money. And then it was like, okay, now we like really need to make sure we can find this location. And uh, I would have done, I, I mean, it's interesting because like, we've talked about this before in many episodes where when you're like naive and just starting out, you're more mm-hmm. ambitious. And so you just go for it. And sometimes you make magic in that way. But if I were to do things the way I do them now, I maybe would never have made Summit, right? Like, sure. I also think that like a location and knowing your location or knowing a general sense of the location is helpful for a lot of the pre-production things. Cause like, oh, yeah. so for Sam and Pat, because that is a fairly straightforward shoot, but we wanted to really amplify, like if we're going to just be in this stupid apartment for the entire series, and if it's largely a dialogue based, like script you know it's just two characters having a conversation in an apartment that is the production Mm -hmm. brief for sam and pat and so we were like okay we want it to be more than that we don't want this to just be a filmed podcast like we want this to be something that you should watch so we decided early on we really want to have kind of like goofy exaggerated absurdist moments that you know eventually got like very out of hand and i'm extremely excited if we ever get to make more of it like we've got some wild shit in the can (laughs) like in in it kicking around in our heads but like so as a result because we we had to marry the sort of like twin priorities of we wrote this show because it was easy to shoot and we wanted to be able to do it efficiently but also the other priority of making it visually interesting and more than just medium medium wide shot we a lot of that like we that was a much more interactive shot listing so what we ended up doing for both seasons actually is uh chris and i would be in the location that we were shooting in because it was always my apartment and the director and the dp would basically watch us do a moving table read around the room and so to a certain extent andrew our director would just sort of let us move around the room and like you know whatever moved us you know whatever we felt like our character would do in that moment we would go do that and you know we would stop a lot and you know andrew would be like oh that's interesting i actually really like that decision or hey could you try this and then him and the dp uh, because we had two different dps for that show would then kind of follow us around with the camera and kind of look on the monitor and like, ooh, okay, so if you're going to move over there, then we'll frame it this way. So we were kind of, they were kind of developing the shot list as Chris and I were like rehearsing and moving around the space. And mm-hmm. then we would find um, moments of like, oh, that's very funny. I think we can heighten that by doing this sort of a shot or ooh, what if we do, you know, like that. And so it was a very collaborative, interactive, like, you know, them just following us around the apartment as we did weird things. And then like all of us sort of bouncing different creative ideas off of it. Uh, You know, Chris and I from the performance aspect of, you know, this is what feels like my character would do in this moment. And then the other two, like looking through the camera and going, okay, this is a really boring shot. How do we make this weirder? How do we make this more exciting? Um, Mm -hmm. And that was actually very fun. I love doing Sam and Pat rehearsals because like it was a much more lighthearted thing than we'd ever made before and it was so simple and as a result you got to really play with it in them mm-hmm. in that space and uh and I miss that I liked being able to do you know wander shot list rehearsals you know combos it felt very right. efficient and productive but also just very like weird and creative and free mm-hmm yeah. So so this is actually to transition us into talking uh, more specifics. The reason that we started to 
prep this episode is, Christina, you wanted to talk about the difference in pre-productions depending on what you were making. And you have obviously experience in all of the things. You have experience in web series and shorts and features. So from your perspective, having that plethora of experience Mm -hmm. what what are the like big high level differences in your mind in pre-production when it comes to prepping for a feature versus a short yeah I mean the the big difference usually is like being on location because usually for a feature you're not you know where you live I find Mm -hmm. at least in my experience most shorts are made just generally where everyone can commute like come Mm -hmm. for the morning and go home whereas features that might be the case if you're making like a home in the city that you live in. Uh, sure. But generally, it's more of an on location sort of a thing where it's like, I mean, we did our fee- our summit in two weeks, but some that would be very short for most people. It, it, you're probably looking at more like a month. Mm-hmm. And and so then you're you're thinking about not just how you have to take care of people and service people on during the hour, like the working hours, but you also have to think about sort of 24-7, like sleeping arrangements and feeding them for meals that aren't necessarily on working days, you know, sure. and and thinking about how morale will be when they're shooting for multiple days in a row versus maybe just like a one-day shoot or a two-day shoot or maybe like two weekends, you know, like bookending for a mm-hmm. short or even – you know, web series, like my web series, we shot primarily on weekends over over the course of two months, mm-hmm. but that was all in New York. And so it was just thinking about the weekends versus like, we're going to be shooting four days on, one day off for Summit, which is how we did a lot. It was like three or four days on and then we'd have one day off. And mm-hmm. that was a learning experience for me because like getting one day off after shooting four days in in brutal weather was like not ideal. <laughs> right. Especially because you were probably prepping for the next day. Really quickly, right. if, if we're going to talk about bookend weekends, um, I will say I do not recommend doing even a short project and doing two consecutive weekends. Because what that means is that you just work for three weeks straight. Like we did this for <laughs> yeah. Sam and Pat season two, and it was an absolute nightmare. Like we were exhausted by the end of that period and still had a week's worth of work because all of us were working full time. Yeah. And so we shot one, you know, so we worked a week, we shot over the weekend, we worked we shot over the next weekend and then we had an additional week of work before we'd a- we could actually get a day off. And like, those were brutal days. They, we were in one location, but it was the summertime in New York yeah. city. We couldn't have AC on. And we <laughs> were like, like the fact that we all made it out of that shoot alive is a miracle. And like, and it's a different kind of miracle than all of us making it out of brain season one alive. Cause that one was a lot more like, you know, just none of us knew what we were doing. It was a mess for a lot of reasons. Uh, Sam and Pat was a mess just because like we were all doing our best. We were like so organized or whatever. We were just physically and emotionally exhausted because it, we just never got a chance to break. So I highly recommend if everyone on your team works full time, like Monday through Friday, maybe don't <laughs> do two consecutive weekend shoots, mm-hmm. like shoot over the course of a month and shoot every other weekend because yeah. otherwise that is a brutal, brutal schedule, physically demanding, emotionally demanding. And I do do not recommend it. It is, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily do that again. Especially if you're shooting both days. Like if you're shooting like one week, you're yeah. shooting a Saturday, one week you're shooting either that Saturday or Sunday or something. That's a different situation altogether. Yeah, I mean, shooting weekends is, what's helpful is that you're not like depriving people who work full-time jobs or have, or work in film, but, you know, work on big sets. You're not depriving Mm -hmm. them of much higher paying work yet, like a a paying day. Sometimes you have to do it. Like when we were shooting About a Donkey, we did shoot that in 12 days, but it was four consecutive three-day weekends. So it was Friday through Sunday over four four weeks. And I was working full-time, but I was at least able to take every Monday off. And not everyone could do that, though, because they didn't want to give up their vacation time. I theoretically had unlimited vacations. Mm-hmm. So the reason why we did that, though, is because of the wet- we couldn't risk the weather changing too much because sure. we shot it. We shot it. Yeah, there's a lot of exteriors for that. Yeah, like end of March into early April. And so it was like a very specific window of time where it could suddenly look like summer. <laughs> sure. We were going for fall, though. And so it was like a very specific window of time where we would get that look in the spring. 
And so we had to, we had to really, oh, and also I had one actor who was moving to LA on like April there's, there's 17th always one. or something. <laughs> yeah. And so we ended up doing that and it was, it was chaotic. And like, the, I remember the third weekend I had almost completely lost my voice because I was sick. No. And so then trying to direct. And then it was very funny because that was the one weekend where we took a Sunday off because we had done one week where we also did a Thursday. And um, it was because we had a screening of a film at a festival. And then I had to do this Q&A where they didn't give me a mic in this big ass theater. Oh, no. <laughs> but anyway, I wouldn't recommend it. However, it, it, you know, was necessary in that case. And yeah, there's a lot of things that <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm 32 now that I would not do again, but like the energy of a 23 year old, that's how it, that's, I had just sure. turned 23 when I made Summit, you know, like there are certain things that I just wouldn't do again because I don't have that kind of like chaotic energy where I can just operate on no sleep for three days straight. We're very old. <laughs> We're very old and tired and we can't do what we used to do. Let's talk about location scouting because yeah, right. locations, like we talked already about how important they are to uh, so many aspects of like mm -hmm. just putting everything together. So what is your, what is your process for like sourcing, finding, scouting locations? So locations always are the number one thing that go in, in when I'm needing to cut the budget. So like when I'm sure. needing to figure out how to make this simpler, it's a lot of either cutting locations or consolidating locations. But my, my method for scouting, a lot of the time it's using social media. I mean, you know, asking people because the, I think the best resource is finding people who have shot in a thing like that before, right? Mm -hmm. And they usually have either, you know, leads on deals or even free stuff. But most of my locations have been extended family or family friends just like doing us a favor and letting us use their house or their car. Or in the case of Summit, that was like seven trips I took upstate with my mom to mm -hmm. just try and find a house that looked dilapidated but wasn't unsafe. <laughs> and, sure. Um, and it's interesting because with Summit, what ended up happening is we ended up having to shoot in two separate houses. And one was our vacation rental. That was the exterior. We just like put some boards up on the windows and made it look kind of shady outside when inside it was really cozy and nice and we were all living in it. And mm -hmm. then the other interior, we found an ad on Craigslist. This guy was flipping a house and he was posting something else that was not at all related to film. But my mom actually just sent him an email and she was like, my daughter's a film student and whatever. And uh, and for 400 bucks, he let us stay in and shoot in the house when it was mid flip. So it looked really oh, nice. gutted inside. And it was for five days. We were just there. And that was that just worked out. It was like, you know, so not being afraid to ask. Like we also had a gas station in Summit. It was Justin, his mom, like a literally a three minute drive from her it was this little cute gas station that unfortunately has closed down. But we just stopped there when we were visiting his mom and I asked the owner and she if I could use just the outside just to like show the outside and have them hang out by the pumps and whatever. And she was like, sure. And it was free. <laughs> and so I think getting outside of a big city is a is big a big part of it because they're mm -hmm. not used to production and they find it kind of cool that they'll see their thing in a movie right like you'll have to pay to get people there but the actual right. once you're there the expenses you might end up actually saving money by like kind of shooting on location somewhere right and I, though i don't advocate for like coming in just being like a bulldozer right on film unfortunately does require a lot of like moving of things around mm -hmm. and What's good is that they don't necessarily know that. So they're not like jaded from someone who had previously not mm -hmm. done a good job. I remember my, for one of my shorts enough, I needed a really fancy house because it's a home robbery. And it was my, <laughs> my mom's husband's ex-wife has a really fancy house. And so she just let us shoot in it. And they like rummaged through the whole house so we had to make it look like they make a huge mess and we took such intricate photos nicole solomon was the art director and she was like amazing at taking making everything look trashed and then putting everything back and i remember the joan is the homeowner she came into the living room at one point and saw everything 
And I was like, I swear to you, everything will be exactly the way it was. And she was like, I trust you. But she was very skeptical. And then (laughs) after we wrapped everything, she was like, oh, my God. I even walked around to see if, like, there was one little thing slightly off and it was exact it was like we could see the dust marks around little knickknacks it was like perfectly lined up you know and so um I think that you know if you make enough things too then you people trust you and Mm -hmm. so this same woman then got us an office location for affliction a short I made in 2019 because she was like oh I'll ask my husband's assistant she has this really cool office with with a big window because we wanted a big window and the reason why she felt comfortable doing that on our behalf is because we had proven ourselves in her Mm -hmm. home right and so I think it's, it's all about relationships you know totally it's absolutely always about relationships and I think that some some things that like I've learned from location scouting in particular is that like you really want to set aside like a lot of time if you and if you can be physically in the space it's so much more important like mm-hmm. buy-in we couldn't be because we were renting a hotel room and had to kind of just go off of what the photos on like their website looked like and plan from there and then we got to the room totally different room fundamentally different space that we had to make a lot of changes within and so luckily we had given ourselves time like we checked in on a Friday and didn't start truly shooting until Saturday so we mm-hmm. had from like check-in to basically redo our entire shot list and like rearrange blocking and stuff like that but um when you can be physically in a space like you'll start to learn oh I don't know where I'm gonna put a camera here so we can't we can't shoot here because if we need to mm-hmm. shoot over there we need that part of the architecture but there's physically no space to shoot from we need a new location. You know, how many outlets are there and are they yeah. conveniently located? Do they work? Because I've definitely been in locations where outlets don't work. And you ask the mm-hmm. person who you're getting the location from and they're like, oh, yeah, that outlet just doesn't work. And you're like, oh, well, that changes things. If you're scouting an outdoor place, because like before we started recording, Christina and I were talking about shooting in Prospect Park. And I we I've shot so much in Prospect Park over the course of my my time in filmmaking in New York City. And I know that park really well, because I have hiked it so often because I needed to find very specific niche areas, which were like the perfect balance of out of the way easy to find again because Prospect Park isn't like Central Park if you're familiar with the parks in New York City because Prospect Park isn't on like a grid system it's not like oh yeah 82nd and whatever it's like it's this weirdly shaped thing and Brooklyn's already kind of confusing to get around so like being able to retrace our steps to find a location in Prospect Park was an incredibly important (laughs) aspect of location scouting that we didn't initially intend on but then also Mm -hmm. because you're shooting outside and you probably have like a handful of people there where are the bathrooms locations Mm. near like exterior locations that are somewhat near a bathroom or that you can easily like give people directions for also very important Mm -hmm. also something we didn't think about the first time so like there are just so many different aspects of like this location it just can't just look good it also has to be practical (laughs) in so many ways like i do all my own outreach but when it comes to locking in a location I make sure to consult my DP if I have Mm -hmm. an art director also my art director like things that I'm not going to think about like outlets like I'm just thinking about how it's going to look on screen Mm -hmm. but my DP or my gaffer is going to be like okay but do they have outlets will we able to get to them can we get to the circuit breaker like things like that right that I don't necessarily have top of mind when I'm just excited about the way something looks or feels right and and so that's definitely part of the process. Mm-hmm. And also making sure if like there is a location that isn't easily accessible by all of your equipment. And so like where where is holding if you're outdoors and yeah. who are we scheduling to be there on that day to watch the equipment while we go hike around right. and eventually cycle back? Like that's also right. an aspect of it. And sound, like try and mm, I was just visit during the time of day on the day that you'll be shooting to know is there do planes go overhead a lot that day is there like you know constant lawnmowers because it's a sunday early like late Mm -hmm. is there an aerobics class nearby you know do people actually use the outdoor is it just like echoey you know is it a really echoey space and can you put up sound blankets or is that not going to be feasible like that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff you you want to take into consideration to talk about Prospect Park for a second, just 
So the reason, what I said earlier is that those are usually things that I cut is locations, right? Mm -hmm. Um, An example would be, so Kelsey wrote our web series, Kelsey, just like what she wanted to write. She wasn't really thinking about production. So then when I got the scripts, then I was like, okay, well, I'm thinking about directing this and what we could pull off and all that. And one of the episodes, episode seven, was originally written where it's cross-cutting between the main character, Kelsey, hanging out with two of the friends, with Rowan and with Samantha. And in the script, she's in a, a pickle store with, with Rowan. They're like shopping for pickles. And he's like commenting on, because he's not a fan of pickles and she loves pickles. And so he's commenting on the smell and stuff. And with Samantha, they're shoe shopping. And... I was like, well, we could try and find, you know, there are a couple, there's, she, it was specifically like Pickle Brian or something in Brooklyn that she had written it to be. And I was like, we could ask them, but I doubt anywhere in New York City, like, is going to say yes for our rates because we we're basically asking for free. And same with a shoe store. I was like, I don't know if we'll find a shoe store. So then I think she tried, she did some asking around and it didn't happen. So I was like, what if it's a pickle stand and they're like, at a yard sale. How about that? Mm. And so then we tried to make that happen. We we're like, okay, could we build a pickle stand? How much would that cost us? Do we have the budget for that? And can we find a yard sale or do we have enough like junk that we could put out on a random yard to make it look like a yard sale? And that was just like still too ambitious for our mm-hmm. budget. So then so then it became the eventual result of the episode was Rowan and Kelsey are sitting in Prospect Park and she's just eating from a jar of pickles. And Samantha and Kelsey are going through Samantha's clothes in her bedroom, trying to decide what to keep and what to give away. And I actually ended up liking it better because it was like more intimate and obviously a lot easier to pull off. When we would cut back to Kelsey with Rowan, she would just have like more and more pickles on a stick. (laughs) And when we would cut back to Samantha, every time they would be wearing more and more of Samantha's clothes. Um, And so it became like a fun little gag that we were playing with on either end. And then then Kelsey still had her jar of pickles with Samantha at the end. She offers her a pickle on a stick. And so um, because that show is nonlinear. So you were seeing something like earlier in the day and then something later in the day. And Kelsey tells the same story differently um to either friend i mean that reminds me of our cheats episode like you know finding it's it's about finding the core of you know the storytelling reason that this thing is happening it's like if the story was about the people who worked at this pickle store and like the you know whatever like sure the pickle place might have been important but if it was just about like you think the pickle is funny and it's about the interaction these two characters have around a pickle Mm -hmm. You don't need to be in a pickle place for that. You don't even need to have a stand. Uh, That's actually, that reminds me of uh, when I was the AD and um, producer on Stray, the millennial dating web series, all of which still hasn't come out because he's had so many issues in post-production. That's a side story. But there was a scene in season two that I was producing. Um, We were at a production meeting and we were talking through like locations. And this is a story, you know, it's about dating in New York City. You go out to Mm -hmm. bars a lot. And there was a scene that the the writer Pablo wanted to do where like a group of the cast was like watching um I think wrestling mm-hmm. some kind of wrestling or like boxing or M- maybe it was MMA I don't remember some some kind of like you know costumed highly uh competitive greasy people wrestling sort of thing and uh there was it was going to be this whole it was an ensemble scene so I think it was like six cast members whatever and like we, we spent a lot of time puzzling out, like, because we had gotten a couple of bar locations, but, like, you know, you you need to see the wrestling because there was, like, a specific thing he wanted to, like, show on the, on the screen. So I was like, okay, well, that limits us because we need a bar with a TV and access to that TV and filming on it, or at the very least, like, a way to shoot it so that we can superimpose on it. And, like, then that'll add mm-hmm. a lot of post-production stuff. And so, like, we were talking through this, and I was like, does it have to be a bar? He was like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, like, what about the bar element is important? Because it's not like people are like wandering in, you know, there's no interactions with characters that are like extras coming in and being annoyed with them. It's just these six people watching wrestling. 
Could that just mm-hmm. be at someone's apartment? And initially he was very resistant. He's like, well, I don't want to just shoot in apartments anymore. Cause like season one of his show was very just apartment based and he was hoping right. to get more ambitious. And I was like, I feel you, I understand. But the fact that we have more than two characters is already a big swing in difference from the first season. And also we have other sequences that we've already worked out that are in a bar. So I want you to be honest with me right now. Is the reason that you want to shoot the scene in a bar because the story needs it for it to make sense and to get across what we want to get across in the scene or because you have a hang up about only shooting in apartments. He was like, Mm -hmm. that is the thing. And I was like, okay, you need to get over that because we don't have the money. (laughs) Like we can't pay Mm -hmm. any of these bars. And so we redid it. And I actually liked that scene better than if we had done it in a bar because we had a lot more control. And for an ensemble scene with six characters all having something to say, that was a long day. And if we didn't have Mm -hmm. control over the space and we had to shoot in limited time, that would have been crazy. We also got more ambitious shots because we had more control over the space and because we could plan out how we got, you know, we had control over the TV, all of this stuff. It was just every part of it was easier. And I think it added a lot because then it had this added intimacy of, you know, they had invited people to their home. And so all of these people were not just interacting with each other, but they were interacting with each other, having been invited over inside their home and put this this location that we'd seen in other contexts in a whole new one. And it added a, a level of like intimacy between the characters that I don't think would have been conveyed had they just all agreed to meet at a bar. So mm-hmm. same sort of deal. Saved us a lot of money, a lot of time right. and, you know, was ultimately more effective for the the shots. Right. Uh, another thing I wanted to bring up for locations, because they are they can be expensive, but if you can be flexible, if you can be find ways to be flexible with like how they operate, you may find they'll work with you. So two examples, the People Lounge was this bar in the Lower East Side. It's where IndieWorks was originally held. And I loved them so much. They closed down in 2016, unfortunately. Mm. But the guy who ran it, he was just like a, a good guy who really loved people and he loved the arts and he was really supportive of us starting IndieWorks, which we had just started in in like June of 2013. And then we started shooting Kelsey in July of 2013. So we hadn't like had much of a relationship with them, but they, they liked us because we brought in a decent crowd for IndieWorks, which is a monthly screening series sure. um, of films. So anyway, we needed bar location. And this was the bar that eventually became like seven different locations in Kelsey. And we couldn't afford, you know, to rent it for what the rates would be for like a full day or something. But I was talking to him about his hours and, and when he's open, when he's closed and how his like staff works and whatever. And he allowed us to use it if we could shoot specifically from 6 a.m., to 10 a.m. because that was before they opened. But we also would have to pay for the hourly pay for his employee that opens the place to come in early and open it for us and stay there. And so that was like the agreement was like, you can use it just for this fee, which is essentially his payment, his hourly payment for the four hours that you get. As long as you don't, you're like cleaned up by 10 a.m. when we need to open. Mm-hmm. and you are paying for this person and you sign an agreement that like all you take on all liability during those hours if something happens to anyone and a general like you break it you bought you buy it kind of a thing sure 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 and and that worked out it meant that we had to like be quick with our shots and mm-hmm. be really strategic about what coverage we needed but you know it, it worked and, and of course people had to wake up at 6 a.m or before 6 a.m to be there by 6 a.m but right. it was the best case scenario because mm-hmm. finding a bar location in New York City, especially for the amount of days we needed to use it, Mm -hmm. um, would have been very expensive. And we were making, you know, a no budget web series. Yeah, that makes sense. And also, if you're like, if one of the concerns is just, you know, you have limited time in a location for whatever reason, to like compensate for that and make it worth it, you might want to have a little bit more time up front to do rehearsals. So like the example I use is, our first day of shooting brain season two, actually, we were shooting a scene from near the end of the season that was supposed to be outdoors, but it started raining. And we were like, actually, this sort of vibes with what the scene is. However, we obviously couldn't rehearse outside the way we were going to, we couldn't like kind of feel it out. So we did our a full rehearsal blocking camera, everything inside the school because we were shooting on the roof again. We did the entire sequence, we worked out all of the timing and like where the camera was going to be placed and all that stuff. 
And then we went out onto the roof and, you know, we had limited time because at a certain point we would just be drenched and it would look like shit. <laughs> but we worked out all the kinks of like performances, that kind of stuff. So that once we got there, we could just go. And as long as like, you know, the timing worked out, we got all our lines correct. We could just leave after that. And I, the same is true for if you have like a location where it's like, okay, we got to shoot before this bar opens in a couple of hours, which I've also done. We need to make sure that we are super locked in on exactly what we were shooting in that place. And so everything that you might ordinarily kind of give yourself space to experiment with or whatever, preparing ahead of time, essentially doing pre-production for the stuff that you might have otherwise done on the day, mm -hmm. do it ahead of time. And then just when you get there, shoot and leave. Yeah. One of the, another just quick example from Kelsey, we had a bodega and her like local bodega, bodega man, Leroy, who owns the place is someone she interacts with in not every episode, but maybe every other episode. And it's always like a funny exchange that would start an episode. And we got a free bodega by just like promising that anytime a customer would come in, we would get the hell out of the way. And so like <laughs> we we shot it in a matter of hours by just like doing Leroy's side of the conversation pointed at him and anytime a customer showed up he jumped out of the spot and the actual person working the register jumped in and we moved the camera so that the the person could check out and then we did the opposite where we were behind the camera ca uh, counter with the camera pointed at Kelsey and anytime a customer came in she got the hell out of the way we moved the camera so that the person could come back in and it was like it was chaotic like it was annoying to have to if we were in the middle of a great take and someone walked in but that was the agreement that we made so we could use it for free and we got like amazing production value because we had a real bodega we didn't have to dress right. anything you know and so that's that's uh, an option if you're not shooting something that's like lengthy and long scenes you know mm -hmm. and there's there's also sort of the like the half hack of you know being allowed to shoot in a place without any actors or like re rewriting it so that like there's no dialogue in the space so that you need mm -hmm. fewer people to be in there. And it's more about getting the ambiance and atmosphere of a place and then actually moving the real dialogue heavy stuff to a later time. Like that's something that we've done as well, where it's like, we really want to have this location. We cannot afford to shoot in it, or it would just be not feasible for money or without money. So it's just figuring out a way to still use it, still integrate being there in like the rest of your shooting day, but not necessarily needing to bring the entire cast and crew in there and like say, hey, could you turn down the music? Stuff like that. It's like finding a way around that can also be a, a way of, of keeping the heart of it and keeping the production value without also just like completely derailing everyone's day. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that generally having buckets is your best friend. So like right. people they're in what what buckets are they in charge of like what are their duties and then buckets of like what i need cash for what versus what i can get for free versus mm -hmm. some sort of bartering system it's like bucketing everything is how i function in reproduction generally speaking yeah my uh, the buckets make sense to me as as a like concept i think of pre-production as like making to-do lists and agendas for the shoot. And obviously that's like a literal mm -hmm. thing that you're doing. But like for me, it's, I want to be able to look at a single document and know every single thing about what my shoot day is going to look like. So what are they wearing? If we're not providing wardrobe, what are we asking on the call sheet for them to bring? What equipment mm -hmm. do we need for that day? What props do we need? And at what times so that I can purchase them ahead of time and put them in my little tote bag before, you know, I, I go to set that day. What are the shots and what order are we shooting the shots in? What are the things that we're most worried about? Like, I basically just, I want to have documents organized in a way that makes sense for me and for the people who also need to look at them <laughs> so that I get on set and I just do my job. And, you know, I yeah. obviously on set things go wrong all of the time. But like, as long as you have a document and your plan, you'll figure out a way to f get back on track. Yeah, I mean, like Google Docs is what I primarily use is just Same. like a sheet for everything. So it's like, yeah, wardrobe, because I do all the wardrobe myself. I do a lot of the time I'm the one securing props or specific art um, unless I'm able to pay someone and that's really for the bigger shoot. Sure. And then like, yeah, food, It's they're all sort of their own spreadsheet. And then I also will have it then like by day or by location, depending on how we're shooting. I just subcategorize constantly. Mm -hmm. but, but something I, I like to do bef 
before getting to like finalized documents, I'm a big fan of Trello. Mm, I used to use Trello. I'm like a visual person, and so I like the I like the physical act of dragging and dropping a post-it under someone's name, you know? Mm. And then like so like everyone has their own Trello list and it's like, okay, these are your tasks and they belong in this aspect. So it's like they're location related or they're food related or they're whatever related. And then you move them to, you know, they're not done yet or they're in progress or they're finished. And then Mm -hmm. I can see that you've like physically finished the thing. The problem is that not all of my collaborators actually update. (laughs) Yeah. And that's always the problem is that so much of pre-production is like creating systems, but not everyone likes systems. You know, some people are more chaotic, some people are more, you know, and so it's, it's about finding the balance of like, okay, if you're not going to update this, then I need to be able to get a hold of you, you know, or you need to be in, you need to find your own way to update everyone else. And like where Mm pre-production has fallen apart for me in the past is people who like get anxious about not being able to like do something at all do something in the time that we tried to agree on or whatever and then instead of like having a system in place for us to know about that so that we can help you know either by taking it off their plates or like readjusting what the parameters are or whatever they just show up to the next meeting and when you get to them like okay so how how are your tasks going and they're like oh I didn't do them <laughs> and then that mm-hmm. just derails all progress and some of that is personality and some of that is just learning like hey maybe I don't work with this person or maybe we just mm-hmm. don't involve them at this stage you know and they are they are mm-hmm. we hire them to do their one job and they don't need to be involved beyond that. But other parts of it is just figuring out like the quirks of your team. And, you know, if this person, Mm -hmm. they just get huge extreme anxiety about emailing, well, then instead of having them do the emailing, have them write the emails and hand them off to someone else. You know, it's just about balancing like everyone has to do some scut work, but, you know, certain scut work is going to be more akin to different people's skills than others. And so Mm -hmm. like, how can they still be additive and helpful? And also, how can you still acknowledge that like, this is something no one wants to do? You know, what is the balance of that delegation between this won't get done if no one does it versus Mm -hmm. I can't do everything. And so it's just about figuring out everyone's little quirks and, and coordinating in a way that you know, allows people to be set up for success and feels comfortable being communicative about feelings. Right. And that's like, it is a meeting people where they're at and sort of creating systems so that you're all on the same page and you all have access to the thing and you all maybe are getting the same reminders Mm -hmm. and then knowing like how you're each engaging within that. So I know that Matt may not physically move that Trello you know, post it into Mm -hmm. the complete section, but he knows me and knows that I'm going to ask him if he did, if he did the actual task and then move it myself. If he, cause like, I know that Matt is going to get it done. I just don't know that he's actually going to confirm that he got it done in that manner, you know? And so if you're not working with the same people over and over, that can lead to, you know, a lot of resentment and annoyance Mm -hmm. from different people. And that's why I think just having clear communication up front and and like you said you have that early production meeting where it's all clearly mapped out and everyone has next steps and I usually in that meeting will also try and get a sense of how people like to be communicated with like if I need to Mm -hmm. check in with you on something do you want me to slack you do you want me to email you what is going to get the response that I need at the time that I need it and and not make you feel like I'm violating boundaries. Right. Or micromanaging or something. It's just like, and it's a huge balance. And even when you've worked with the same people a couple of times, sometimes you're just in a weird headspace and like conflicts arise. And so it's just about like being very like clear with one another about what is our goal? What is our vision? All that we're trying to do at any point of interaction is support one another in achieving that vision. And as long as you have that baseline of like genuine respect for one another and a a shared interest in doing the thing, I think it'll be fine. Right. I find directing for hire, like coming into a TV show and directing one episode, not to be very appealing to me because the creative collaboration is what I really love about being on set and I think Mm -hmm. that chemistry and being able to communicate is such a big part of that sure and while I think I could you know direct an episode of a tv show really well and like creatively find it fulfilling I wouldn't like on an ongoing basis I think that it would be frustrating because 
I like having like vibes with who I'm communicating Mm -hmm. with. And if I, if I don't feel like we're vibing and if I don't feel like I can be direct with them or if I have to like walk on eggshells, I don't think I'm doing my best work. And you can't find a groove if you're like constantly just temping essentially, Mm -hmm. which is what, you know, you're sort of reliant on like, you know, luck. And right. I will say the only time that I, I guess the first time that I directed for hire for better with you, that big, long shoot, I was like very uninvolved in, um, pre-production that had nothing to do with like literal shots and performances. And I also had nothing to do with crewing. You know, I was coming from New York, we were shooting in Salt Lake city. So they built the team out of people they had worked with previously or people they had met in context of trying to crew up this shoot. And so I came in to like lead a group of people who like, did not know me. I did not know them. I didn't know their vibe at all. And there were a couple of conflicts of like being so kind of detached from that process where largely with my own baggage, I was bringing my baggage to this set. And like, I I remember distinctly, we were shooting in a friend of theirs house. We shot in a lot of people's houses while we were there. And we, it was like a house where the decor was a little bit delicate. You know, it was like glass tables instead of wood tables, things like that. And so I was already on edge. I was like, oh God, so many things could go wrong. There are, these aren't even my friends. And I ought automatically feel guilty. And so anytime we would move, like I would be on set trying to puzzle out how to, you know, move everything in the location or not move anything in the location and shoot, you know, around the stuff. And at a certain point, you know, I was like, well, it's just going to take a lot of time to put back together because I was still in sort of the scarcity mindset of there's two people on set, even though we had like a full crew for that production, full crew. But like, you know, we Mm -hmm. had seven or eight people who were not the producer, DP, or director. And that was, you know, so much. <laughs> I never had that. But I was still operating under the like, if I can't do this personally myself, we shouldn't do it. Because what if one of them leaves or whatever, you know, and I'd known any of these people. So I had this baggage from these former shoots. And at a certain point, Kaylee, the DP was like, Brie, stop making decisions based on like your nervousness of putting the room back together. Trust that the people who are here will do that because that's not your job. Your job is, will this make a better shot? If so, we will Mm -hmm. figure out how to get it. Like I need you to focus and stop like worrying about what everyone else is doing. And that was, Mm -hmm. that was necessary. And like the, the reason that I brought this up is because there was a big piece of luck in that, that Kaylee felt comfortable in that moment to tell me that rather than us both like hemming and hawing about like, well, what if we just don't move anything and figure it out? It's like, she felt comfortable being like Brie. We've never worked together. We met each other three days ago. Get your shit together. And I appreciated that so much. And it was great advice. And it's something, it's an experience I hope to recreate on future sets of like being able to not worry about it and just trust, I need this done. Someone will do it. Yeah, I think that like that is the dream, right? To just get to direct and not also have to have your producer hat on. Mm -hmm. That's what I want. But I also know that when I get it, it'll be very hard (laughs) to let go because I'm so used to having to be responsible for all those things and worrying about all those things Mm -hmm. on set too. But yeah, I I think for anyone who is coming into an environment where you're collaborating with people for the first time and it, it isn't, you know, with TV, it's harder because it's just like, it's a machine, right? And right. so like you can't you can't reach out to the, like the TV DP and be like, want to grab coffee? Because they're probably like, you know how many directors come in and out to work on this show? Yep. Like, so they're probably not going to be interested. But I think if it's a smaller project trying to create some camaraderie and understanding of how they communicate and how they like to be communicated with before you actually start working together is is a way to to maybe get over those nerves and find that chemistry. Yeah, we when when we were casting new people for brains from outside of who we cast from initially, which was our classmates, end of list, <laughs> and like one or two of my coworkers um, at the time, when we were finally casting new people, especially because this was like an ensemble and that kind of stuff, like we made sure to just get to know them. You know, we'd go out to coffee, we'd meet them for a meal, you know, stuff like that. And just sit down and like chat and like be friends. And I I think that an underrated, undervalued part of pre-production is just feeling each other out, not like efficiency wise, you know, not the only times you interact with people, especially new people shouldn't just be pre-production meetings. Or if it is Mm -hmm. like 
plan to have a meal together afterwards or plan to have a meal ahead yeah. of time and then say, okay, we're done eating. Let's move location and start the meeting. Something like that. Like I, I like to think of myself as someone who doesn't need that, but I do think that you do because otherwise you're, you know, that this, the burgeoning like potential relationship you have with these other people is being tamped down by like, we can't talk like that right now. We have to do, you know, the next stage of the agenda. And then it becomes very restrictive and you don't learn things that might actually be helpful in the next meeting about like, oh, hey, you mentioned that you have a, a friend who works at this blah, blah, blah. Could we work there? Like, you know, it can still be productive, but also, you know, we're making art. This isn't rocket science. This isn't, we're not saving lives. We're, hmm. we're making movies. Right. And even if they're important movies, you know, in one way or another, enjoy it. These are cool people doing cool things with you. Like, just get to know them. Treat each other like people. That's right. <laughs> and I think, yeah, I mean, like, go back and listen to our other episodes where we talked about Mistakes we made on our first project and mm -hmm. budgeting with Polkitata. And I feel like and definitely our cheats episode. Yeah, our cheats episode, I think, will be very helpful for the for the pre-production conversation. But I, I do think that it's it's valuable to kind of have like a central like pre-production and then, you know, for details on the elements of that go elsewhere. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on for, for pre-production? Nope. Me either. Else. But although I will say the dangerous thing about this conversation is that now I'm like, man, I kind of miss being in pre-production. Pre-production is like exactly a lot of That was exactly what work. I was thinking. <laughs> I'm like, oh, but I love shooting. And like, even when it's really yeah. hard, because like pre-production gives me so much anxiety because there's just so many unknowns and it just feels so big and abstract to like get everything in, you know, my perfect spreadsheets is mm -hmm. like, it's just so intense. But at the same time, it's like, but I like that problem solving. I like yeah. that, like, let's just look at 15 different locations in one day and, you know, see which one we like better and dream mm -hmm. big about what if we could get this sh shot or this shot. There's nothing like it. That's that's what I was <laughs> thinking. Yeah. When, when we were talking about shot listing, I was like, oh, I miss <laughs> sitting over coffee with Peter and Matt and talking about the shots for this particular project and then coming up with our schedule and... And yeah, I miss, I miss it. <laughs> yeah, you miss the weirdest stuff. Because yeah, like shot listing can be very boring and dry, but also it is like a puzzle and you get to be there with people that you love and respect. Like I, I miss all of these people so much. I'm like, man, I wish I was planning a shoot with Brandon. Oh man, I wish Kaylee mm -hmm. and I were talking about how to, you know, do a very simple thing that we could fix in post. Ah, oh, I just, I miss the energy. Yeah. And I think that that's maybe less to do with pre-production and more to do with we have been in quarantine for truly so long and haven't been <laughs> yeah. in these spaces. And we just miss sharing energy with people who aren't our partners. Yeah. Hopefully we'll get it back. Oh, yeah. Maybe even by the time this episode comes 2022. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, my God. Please get vaccinated. Please wear masks. I want to be in pre-production again, y'all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much to Kelsey Rauber for our theme music, Kaylee Brown for our podcast art, Ezra Lee for editing this episode, and to all of you for listening. Links to learn more about them, as always, are in our episode description. And thank you to our booby VIPs, Shannon Sprangler, Jules Piggott, Rain Bernal, Kelsey Rauber, Jerry Maravia, Norman Steinberg, Amanda Blunt, Anthony Epp, Kim Garland, and Shana Rose Woolley. If you would like a name shout out at the end of every episode, please feel free to subscribe at patreon.com slash breaking out pod. There's a bunch of great resources there and we would love to have you we've got this time we've got like a huge packet of pre-production information so like if if this all seems overwhelming and you're like man i wish i had just like an easy template or structure to start myself with oh don't you worry friend we've got that all for you so join us on patreon um we would love to have you also not for nothing but we also love the the very free and easy support of ranking our podcast five stars on your favorite podcast app and maybe even going a step further and writing us a little review even if it's just saying hi Bree and christina smiley face we appreciate every single little thing that you guys write there and we love it every time but uh speaking of every time we're doing more episodes of this podcast and next episode, we're going to be covering nonprofit work and one person production for hire with very special guest Shelby Zoe Coley. So be sure to tune in then. <laughs> <laughs>